This is the Design Goggles podcast on DNV Radio. Checking out architecture and design is a pretty good way to keep track of how the world changes. Designers have a unique way of looking at cities, and Seattle is a city that's changing fast. More people are moving here every day, and understanding what's different and what's next has never been more important. So, put on your design goggles and join us in checking out the view. I'm Charles. I'm a designer here at Borden Vellum. I live in the Central District neighborhood and I've been a Seattleite for two years. And I'm Rachel. I'm a designer here at Borden Vellum. I live in the old Ballard neighborhood and I grew up here in Seattle. This week's show is titled Seattle's Big Time. You might have noticed a few extra people in town and with them come taller buildings, denser neighborhoods, and a faster pace all around. Beyond the physical changes to the city, there are human stories behind each act of evolution Seattle undergoes. It's exciting to think about the fact that Seattle has grown into a truly global, metropolitan hub here in the U.S. But does all this talk about getting big drowned out some of the smaller Seattle voices? Are Seattleites losing what makes their city special? Or gaining a city that's more unique and vital than ever before? Is it possible to cheer for Seattle's growth and care for the soul of the city at the same time? To help us answer those questions and more, we are joined by Jeff Schulman, business school professor at the University of Washington and host of the Seattle Growth Podcast. Jeff, thanks so much for making time to sit and chat with us. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So we ask everybody at the beginning of every show, how long have you been in Seattle? I've been here since 2006. I've been here 12 years. Where did you, what neighborhood did you move when you first got here? We moved to Queen Anne. So I moved out here with my, who's now my wife and two cats. So we took that drive from Chicago, where I was in grad school, and we drove across the country and rolled up through I-90 and pulled up to the Cascade Terrace in Lower Queen Anne. How long did you live in Queen Anne? Are you still there? Uh, no, I lived in Queen Anne for one year and then moved down to South Lake Union, Dexter and Aloha, the Neptune Apartments. And You're that's right it. in the middle of it. Wow. Right yeah. in the middle of the action, but I wasn't at the time. So I oh, moved out of there in 2012. And just going back, that's actually what inspired the podcast is the fact that the place that I knew just for five years was so different, even a couple of years later, that I started being curious, what are people who have lived here a lot longer thinking about all the changes happening here? Did you drive with both of those cats? <laughs> I did. All that way? <laughs> it was miserable. Let's just say we had a few extra stops in the middle of the country planned and we didn't get through them all. How long was the drive from Chicago? Several days. So we tried to make, we saw Mount Rushmore and we were going to stop in a couple of the beautiful places in Montana. We just put the pedal to the metal as the cats were screaming almost the entire time. Cats scream? This is all new to me. I'm it's just more, it's don't more know like, cats. A, like a whale. Oh. It's like a guttural. That's, what are you doing that's to That's a me? rough way to roll in, I gotta say. <laughs> it was painful. It's not like heads out the window, tongues in the wind. <laughs> right. <laughs> where, where did you grow up originally? I'm from uh, Ohio, so I'm born in Michigan, raised in Ohio, school at Northwestern University outside Chicago, Midwest, born and raised. So not a whole lot of mountain scenarios. No. Nope. <laughs> really, really flat. We had hills. <laughs> right. And corn. So what was it like adjusting when you first moved to Seattle? So this is pre-tech boom. Yeah, so actually it's funny because there was a boom going on in 2006 right. as well. Right. Uh, there were cranes everywhere. There was this anxiety that I'd never be able to afford a home. Rent was a lot more money than it was in, even in Chicago. So there was adjustments there. For some reason, the thing I remember most about when I moved here, uh, completely irrelevant to what you're talking about, is that 
people would get ticketed for jaywalking. This is something I read about when I was moving here too. It was all, it was like many people were like, beware, I'm moving to Seattle. You're going to get a ticket for jaywalking. Have you ever gotten one? I did not, uh, but the, the lore was enough that, so in, in Chicago, we would play Frogger. You know, you go out one lane, wait yeah, yeah. for cars, go to another lane, but not here. So that's a design goggles exclusive. Yeah, there you go. Have, <laughs> in my media tour, I've never talked about the fear of jaywalking. We get to the deep, yeah. deep questions. <laughs> what were some other adjustments from the Midwest to the Pacific Northwest? Seattle's always felt like Chicago, but smaller. It's, it always had all the restaurants I wanted, sports teams that I'd like to, to go see, art, culture, theater. It was pretty much everything I was used to in Chicago, but brought down to one small little neighborhood of Chicago. And then I also remember just kind of each neighborhood had its own distinct character. And so we had the downtown, which reminded me a lot of Chicago, but then you had a different flavor in Fremont, a different flavor in the U District, different flavor in Queen Anne. So I remember the distinct neighborhoods was kind of a charming aspect of it. So all cities build and grow and evolve. What was it about the growth you saw back then when you first got here that made you start thinking about the evolution in a way that eventually ended up the Seattle Growth Podcast? Yeah. So again, I came here at a time where housing prices were going up so everybody's making a lot of money on their houses there were still there were a lot of cranes in the sky but amazon was up on the hill in the old va hospital then they just started to move down to south lake union at about the time i was leaving south lake union then this latest boom came after the recession and people told me back then the housing prices will never drop we're landlocked seattle's different so everything we're hearing now i was hearing back in uh, 2006 the recession hit I was very fortunate enough to to be able to buy a house here. Then I go back to South Lake Union, and every single building around where my apartment was is new. It's completely different. I also live in a neighborhood where people were on different sides of this growth conversation, like oh, all these outsiders come into the city versus, oh, we've got to make room, and if you don't want to, you're, you're a terrible person. There was just like kind of one kind of battles that seems somewhat polarized. And so I just wanted to see, is it as polarizing of a topic as it's made out to be, both in the press and in certain engagements I'd seen? And what are people who've been here a lot longer than me thinking about the changes to their hometown. I'll just give you a little bit of a clue. It's not as divisive as it may seem. There's a lot of people just trying to figure it out. What does this mean for them? And what does this mean for the community uh, that they're a part of? When you first did your first couple of shows, what did you expect to hear initially? Were you expecting more polarization? Were your expectations met? Were you shocked and surprised by what you heard from the first couple of guests? I've only listened to one of your more recent shows. The first show was just a guy you, you met in a bar. Did I see that right? <laughs> yeah. you were just, it was just you with this guy. And you were just like, hey, I just met this guy at a bar. We just did a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> I always like to call the, the first season, you know, from Stephen Abar to the mayor of Seattle. That was my journey. Yeah, Stephen Abar was just a very interesting person who had been here for years He's a hardscaper. And so he, I didn't, I learned what that term was. That's one thing I learned and didn't expect is that, you know, we've got landscaping, which is the green grass and the, the plants. Hardscaping is then going to be like the patio and the, the bricklaying. Mm -hmm. So he does that. And he was just really generous with opening up about what he's experiencing as the city's growing. He, sure, he's seeing more opportunity, but he's also seeing a lot more competition. And so there's a lot of people competing for these jobs. And his wages surprisingly weren't rising, but he was seeing his rent go way up and he moved out of Seattle. And it's just interesting that he opened up about his wages, opened up about his experiences and kind of the, the trouble that goes with trying to do your job in Seattle when you spend so much time on the road outside of Seattle, um, which he wasn't used to before that. What was 
the first really surprising thing that a guest told you when you thought you might be onto something somewhere between him and the mayor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So there, I just learned a whole bunch about, uh, so I talked to the directors of each of the major city departments and so got to hear about how much our firefighters are experiencing a, a growth in the call volume. So how many requests mm. for their services we're seeing the hospitals, they're boarding people in the ER. So that means they're overcrowded to some degree. And the schools, the amount of homeless children that they had was kind of surprising. You know, you see people on the street and it's really sad and depressing, but you don't ever think that there's kids along with it struggling through that same experience that you're watching. And so hearing that uh, the schools have a lot of homeless youth, it was eye-opening. And one little tidbit, you know, so we have all these challenges with growth, but then water usage seems to be about the same as it was 50 years ago. Interesting. So even though we're putting all these people in, we're being put in buildings that are more water efficient yeah. than ever before. Electricity usage is actually fairly flat. Specifically as a business school professor, do you find yourself when listening to the human stories, thinking about it from a sort of macroeconomic level? Did you start connecting those two as you were interviewing people? Well, for me, it's been largely about why are we growing? Will we continue to grow? If we do, how is this growth affecting not just the businesses, but the city as they struggle with some of these great challenges that come with this? And also the people, what are they experiencing? What challenges do we have? And how do we take advantage of the opportunities to address those challenges? Do you find it more polarized now than when you first started the show? You know, I think there's a lot more that people have in common, whether they want more buildings and more people here, whether they want fewer buildings or fewer people here, than you get when you bring people down to a sentence and you have to put them on a side. Right. So most of the people are really trying to figure it out. There's some positives that people are experiencing and there's some negatives that they're experiencing. So for instance, I got a chance to interview Dave B. He performed in a sold out key arena saw, with yeah. Macklemore and performed on the, the corner store. He thinks it's really cool that you go to a bar and or a restaurant and Everybody's from a different part of the country. He mentioned a little bit of the diversity that he's experiencing. But then he also lamented that there were places that he used to write songs and he'll go back there and they're gone. Like it's a totally different building, different place. So I think the people who have been here a long time, a lot of them are experiencing kind of feeling strangers in their own home to some degree. So the buildings they used to see, the the, the people that, that were there, it's all changing. And that, that change can be somewhat unsettling. But with that change is coming new perspectives. And I think what kind of brings everybody together, and this is what I don't want to say surprised me, but was really most striking, is that whether growth was the enemy or growth was the answer, community was on the top of most people's minds. Right. And how do they feel a part of one and how do they create one? And so I think if new people, pro-growth and anti-growth, people sit down and think about it, they both just want to have a sense of belonging and a sense of place that, that they're in a community and a place that they're valued and that they can interact with others. So people new to the city in the last few years who are coming, you came and saw a complete recent trajectory. People coming in the last three or four years are coming in in the middle, literally sometimes in the middle of a conversation. And have, have you interacted with them and have you heard uh, different things from them? You know, it, it's funny because the people coming today are not that different than the people who came, you know, as far back as 89 is kind of the earliest story that I remember where there's a common theme where people come here and they feel welcomed. They feel that they're allowed to be themselves and they're allowed to be a part of the community. And 
So it was interesting. So Ben London, he's a uh, he was an executive at the Grammys, and he's in marketing now. But he was a, in a band during the grunge era. But he, he recalled going to a venue, and over time, somebody started recognizing him, and they said, "Oh, hey, where are you from?" And and then they kind of plugged him in to the community, uh, the grunge community at that time. Similarly, Dustin Vance is a musician who just came here from Indiana it, within this current boom. And he played at an open mic. And sure enough, somebody says, hey, you're great. Come perform again. And he's been plugged into the community. So people from 89 to today talk about how they're welcomed and how it's a very welcoming place. Keep hearing time and time again that people want to help you, but you have to give make an effort. And being in the homeless encampments, being in the tech incubators, being in the music venues and talking to, to artists, there's some commonalities across these communities, it is okay to be yourself here in Seattle. It is okay to be outside the box, to be a little different. And so with that, you're going to be left alone to do your own thing if you want to. People aren't going to bother you, which means that's kind of explains a little bit of the Seattle freeze is you've got to push the effort and then people will help you. People want to help. Do you think it is difficult to be openly excited about growth in Seattle? I think... There is real reason for the whole spectrum of emotions as as this growth is experienced. And I think most people have each of these emotions, but just to varying degrees. So one emotion that most people are feeling is anxiety. You know, the change of pace is so dizzying here. And so there's a little bit of anxiety as to what is this going to mean for me? What is this going to mean for the people and places that I care about? everybody's feeling anxiety. That anxiety might translate into excitement or it might translate into sadness and and fear. But there's also this kind of hope and optimism. You know, there's a lot of opportunity. I think one of the coolest interviews I had was with Ty, who is living out on the streets. He was living outside City Hall when I met him. And he said, I heard people are eating here, so I brought my fork. And then he goes on to say, you know, he came here because he had a chance to better the opportunity for himself and his family. And he was able to get a job doing uh, cleaning. And he said, I just hope that people continue to be able to eat on all levels here in Seattle. So from the person who's coming here to work at Amazon, making six-figure jobs, seven-figure job, whatever it is, to the person living on the streets outside City Hall, there's still this feeling that with all this growth, there's a lot of opportunity and there's a lot lot of chance for you to make it. You know, it's funny. When I first sort of discovered your show, this was around the same time we set up our show. So I saw you were a professor of business. And when I clicked on the podcast and started to listen, I was expecting to hear something about growth from this sort of top-down view about density and about numbers. And your show, not only was it almost long format because you pick a subject and you stretch that subject out over several episodes, but it's so very human and it's all about people. And one of the things I have anxiety about as the conversation unfolds is that people's stories get lost in the conversation. I feel like the more I read online, even the way local media frames this conversation when they choose to, it is always a dichotomy. It's always, there's businesses and they're doing X and that is equaling Y for the little people and we want you to have a dramatic encounter so that we can record it. (laughs) And it was refreshing just to listen to your show where it's like, this conversation is happening. Let's just sit back and chat and see what happens. Where do you feel like we're getting? Where do you feel like we're going? 
Yeah. Uh, well, thank you for, for noting that uh, the human aspect. I, I think that's really important because when everything gets reduced down to a spreadsheet, it could be easy to forget that each number on that spreadsheet represents a person, represents somebody's life. And so as we're talking about how many people can move to Seattle or how many units of housing could we build for people in Seattle, we always have to remember that each of those units is a person and they're experiencing something. And and what they're experiencing is very different from each of us. And it just really helps to hear other perspectives so that one, you know, hey, I'm okay to feel that. It's it's all right to feel a little anxious or it's all right to feel lost and alone in the city because there's other people like that. And similarly, it's also good to realize how other people are feeling and they might be different. If you're really struggling and you hear why somebody is optimistic, you're not as resentful for them to be optimistic because they, you get to hear why is it that they're feeling good about the changes. And so they're not a different person. They just have a, an experience that you could learn from. Hopefully, by bringing these different human perspectives, we could then start to come up with solutions that help at the aggregate level, that help at the spreadsheet level, and also at the human level where, where people can continue to come to Seattle, thrive in Seattle, and give gifts to the world. Like this is a place that's given the world grunge. It's given the world coffee. It's given the world retail. It's given the world so many things. And we want to continue to do that. It's funny. The 90s thing comes up a lot, especially in the last couple of shows, because over the course of this show, we were trying to get a sense when we've had people who've grown up in Seattle on the show as guests. A lot of people are like, well, in the 90s, man, that was Seattle. Many don't realize it was a touchstone then for everybody of a certain age. And I feel like it's becoming a touchstone now for maybe a different reason. But now it's hard to see because I'm here and not outside. And I wonder if you feel like that gets lost in the conversation sometimes, that there's actually, like, this is actually an amazing time to be in Seattle, regardless of this conflict, that maybe there's a whole lot more potential. Maybe Seattle's becoming its best version. I think this is absolutely Seattle's best time. Wow, I mean, bold statement. Yeah, I okay, yes, I was a child in the 90s. I didn't experience the you know beauty and the glory of the 90s as somebody that was old enough to really be a part of it in that way. I, I worry that a lot of this glorification of the 90s is exists because of the fear of what is happening now. You know, there's the anxiety that we've been talking about. And when you're anxious, you look to things where you can find comfort. And that period of the 90s, was one of the first times that Seattle came onto the global stage as this accidentally cool place. Well, you're forgetting the World's Fair. Well, uh, okay, sure. And yeah. and that what I when I say that I don't mean any disrespect, but the, basically what's happening is everybody's got a different vision of when Seattle was Everybody what it should have been. Everybody is nostalgic for their own best time. Exactly. And so there's a group now that might be looking back to the 90s. There was a group in the 90s. So this is really interesting. So uh, I'm working on a documentary now. Uh, and so I've been like scouring the Seattle archives and I'm finding videos. And there are times that you could take the audio and put it to today. And we've said this in Se people yeah. have said this in Seattle time and time again. Uh, in the 90s, Norm Rice had a famous speech where he talked about Seattle's on the brink of destruction. It's uh, at the risk of becoming a playground for the rich. Uh, and if we don't change things, it, it's it's going to fall apart. And, yeah, I, yeah. and I think you're hearing those same arguments today. And also there was a, a skit on a local show that was kind of like Saturday Night Live. And they had the, the Californians are coming and they're ruining our city. Uh, <laughs> will the last Seattleites survive? So it's in the so 90s, Seattle. they were That's complaining yeah. about the Seattle being destroyed. 
it's just a dynamic city. It's been a dynamic city since the gold rush. And I think some people are going to look back at the different periods of time as the best time of Seattle. I think what's key, we're at somewhat of an inflection point. We're seeing at risk some of the things that have made Seattle, Seattle, as the buildings have changed, the people have changed, and the businesses have changed. It seems to me, from what interviewing, again, people in homeless communities, tech communities, city hall, people all over Seattle, seems to me there's kind of two parts of Seattle's soul. You could be who you want to be. Naomi Washira is a musician. She said, wherever you are from, there's a place for you to be, to do your craft and to flourish. And so Seattle's always been a place where you could be a little different. Second thing that's made Seattle, Seattle, as far as I could tell, is collaboration. And I heard this on one of your your recent shows where it's a collaborative place where people want to see each other succeed. It's not as competitive or cutthroat as other cities that people are coming from. And so combined, we face our biggest challenge and our biggest opportunity because if the people who come here from, you know, from a more conforming culture, conformist culture, or if they come here from a less collaborative, more competitive, you know, cutthroat, I've, I've got to beat you over somebody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, if they come here and they change the culture of Seattle, then I think that would be a real challenge. But it's also an opportunity because if we could bring diverse perspectives from around the world and they're both collaborative and creative, imagine whatever challenges that a lot of people are experiencing, we could solve them. So I'm hopeful that we don't lose the collaborative spirit and the creative spirit that I think has persisted no matter how many times people complain about the changes of Seattle. Well, so you've put in a nutshell very much a lot of the shared anxiety that people that have been in Seattle for a long time feel is that you can come to Seattle and be weird and find your place and do all these things if you can fit into that vibe and be part of that. I think a lot of when people start to disagree and feel like no Seattle is being ruined is when you have people that come in that don't accept that cultural aspect of Seattle and are coming in and being like well no all these Pacific Northwesterners are so passive I can come over here and just win everything and they won't fight back and blah 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 and we'll just take over this and show them how it's done and then that makes all of us very prickly and we're not very open to that and then you get a lot of this headbutting so i'm kind of wondering we have all these companies that are importing tens of thousands more of new employees and they have all of their onboarding for the company and how the company works should there be a cultural onboarding for here's what seattle is like here are some people that are from here and there's the this is kind of the seattle vibe here's what you should know and if you want to be a part of what seattle is and what responsibility do those businesses have if any interesting question (laughs) Um, what's interesting about that though is it's really hard to enforce the let everybody be different because you can't say, hey, this is what we are as Seattle. You need to conform to this yeah. different, to this part. Be so, different exactly like us. Exactly. <laughs> this difference, okay. Yeah. Your difference, not. So we're kind of, uh, it is an interesting conundrum. And to answer your question, I think we're all responsible for it. And I think what you're doing here is sharing the voice of people of Seattle and kind of talking about the issues that we're facing, both in design and, and in life. Uh, I think... These kind of conversations are important. I don't think we could rely on business. I don't think we could rely on government. I don't think we rely on ourselves. I think we need to all work together and try to just reinforce this. And and one way to do that, you see this a lot. You know, in tech, you've got New Tech Seattle. Give them a shout out. They're really working hard to build a a community for anybody who wants to go into tech. 
And they're all, uh, they keep talking about, you know, we still need diversity, equity, inclusion. And Brett Green is talking a lot about, you know, helping each other and bringing people together. It reminds me, though, of one of the concerns I've had over the last couple of years is when, or frustrations really I have, is when people say, well, I'm just going to leave. And they do. These people who grew up in Seattle and care about Seattle and in ways maybe not even realizing are the standard bearers. And rather than engage, they just want to go. Yeah. And I just want to like shout, wait, no, like you, <laughs> we can't possibly care for this place without you. But it's tricky. Right now, we're growing quickly and we're not necessarily doing it in a way that is letting everybody that wants to stay, stay. The growth is causing people to no longer be able to stay in the neighborhoods that they grew up in. They don't make enough money. Their wages haven't gone up, blah, blah, blah. And so a lot of people that might stay and, and be the, the standard bearers for it got a little too burned out too soon to, to even want to. You know, we, they got let down too soon and now they're leaving and abandoning us. And it, But it's kind of all of our faults because we haven't been able to do this in a way that was able to keep everybody here. And to Charles's point, we are at a time in Seattle there there really is not a choice but to become civically engaged in some way because the city is at an inflection point. We have a record number of people living on the streets. We have a record amount of wealth here in Seattle. We have a record number of people coming to the city and it's not going to change. And so we've got all these things happening right now. and We have to get involved in the conversation so that what we want to happen Happen. So you've got to be civically engaged in some way and you've got to be culturally engaged. You can't just retreat to a silo because then things will happen to you instead of with you. And so I agree, as you said, that there are people who don't have a choice financially. It's just not possible to stay here. But then for those that are leaving because they don't like the direction, you know, you see they don't like uh, the city council or they don't like the developers or somebody that they feel is ruining their city. These people need to step up and say, this is what I want from the city. Because going back to who's been kind of made enemies, developers, their projects work better if they serve the community. They need to hear from the community, what does the community want? And so you have to let the developers know. Yeah, so I talked to certain developers. Uh, you could listen to season three of Seattle Growth Podcast. Uh, and you talk to developers and their projects get through design review better. They get better buy and they can make more money if they listen to the people. So developers should have an incentive. We want to keep encouraging them to have that incentive. And we have to be engaged with them. And then city council. We have to be engaged with them. They're making big decisions that will affect not just the next year, but the next 50 years. You got to get involved and, and call them. You can't just tweet at them. You got to call them. You got to make appointments to visit them and you got to get involved. You've written about the uh, single family zoning and the density issues. And I feel like in many cities, you can get away with just not understanding that stuff. And it's fine. And the city gets along just fine. And it still shocks me sometimes how everyone here really needs to understand that to have any real voice. Only a couple of weeks ago, the density argument hit a fever pitch and it was all wrapped up in the head tax and everything. And just it came to this boiling point. Even some of our civic leaders don't necessarily understand the implications of the zoning decisions that are made. And so I'm really glad you brought up 
developers because developers, for better or worse, do understand the implications of what they're doing and the rules that govern them. I wonder if one of the most effective ways to affect change is through design and building and refurbishment. And maybe it provides a way for people to have that difficult conversation without vilifying one another, because if we're building something together, that's a wholly positive thing. And, and that's one of the things I try to do with the podcast is help people see that villains aren't really villains. <laughs> yeah. uh, homeowners who like being able to raise a family in a place where the kids can play in the street or play on the sidewalk, they're not evil. Renters care about this city just as much as uh, people who could afford to buy a home. At least one developer I spoke to said there are some bad developers, but there's also a lot of good ones. And it's our job to kind of keep them honest and, and mm -hmm. keep them engaged and, and help them see the value of collaboration. Collaboration is good business. I'm a marketing professor, and you need to understand the needs and wants of your customers and satisfy it better than anybody else. So understanding the people of this city is in the business's best interest. Businesses need this city. It's all about talking to the executives. It's about acquiring and retaining the best talent. Mm -hmm. So they need a city to be livable and to be a great city just as much as we do. So it makes good business sense. It makes good people sense to start tackling some of these challenges. So an associated question, are big businesses in Seattle collaborating with other Seattle businesses or are they consuming talent? I've read a lot of articles recently about how many larger companies are simply moving talent, well, they call it moving talent in-house. It's hiring away from competitors or collaborators and doing creative work or adjacent work simply in-house and hiring them on. Is that anti-collaborative? Well, I mean, in business, you, you don't want to be collaborative necessarily with your competition. Well, let, let's, so let's talk in parallel, for instance, something easy like a marketing company or perhaps a design firm yeah. and a company that does not do design, yeah. but they want to work on design projects and they take on that talent rather than hire a local firm or a marketing firm or a video production firm. Is that a trend that's happening? And what are the implications within Seattle? Because if we remain collaborative, we have to remain actually working together rather than all eventually become employees of the same company. Bringing it back to Seattle, a lot of people sometimes, they look back to when Boeing moved yeah. and they see some of the red flags from then and they don't want the economy to just consist of large companies. Mm -hmm. If large companies, I'm making a huge assumption, start eliminating the complexion of other companies in the city, so if, if all of a sudden we don't have a whole lot of small companies and we don't even have that many medium-sized companies either, are you putting yourself in a position of vulnerability to do the, the 80s all over again? Well, it's, it's really interesting because Amazon, if you look at it in terms of the percentage of people in the city who are employed by Amazon and the percentage of corporate real estate that is occupied by Amazon, they are a huge part mm -hmm. of what's happening here. But I talked to Parker Ferguson, who is uh, the founding partner at uh, Flynn Ferguson Corporate Real Estate. And he talked about, you know, in the old day, back before people would hire by uh, a, somebody would come into town, and they'd hire 10, 20, 30 people. And now they're hiring by the thousands. And so we have this big, massive Amazon employer here, but we also have Tableau hiring by the thousands. We have Zillow hiring by the thousands. We've got Apple and Facebook rolling into town, Google, the three of them, and they're setting up offices and hiring by the thousands. So we have a lot of big employers now. 
probably more than ever before in terms of looking at how many employers are just hiring by the thousands of well-paying jobs. If Amazon contracted, you would imagine that some of those companies would be very excited to be able to hire some of that talent of the people who want to live here in Seattle. So we're a little less prone to the Boeing than we were before because I think a lot of other companies would love to soak up the talent that Amazon has. But now if Amazon leaves because (laughs) they perceive this as a negative business climate, that becomes a different thing because it's like a mall, your anchor tenant. People then get a little skittish. They don't want to be the last one holding um, land here, real estate here and everything. Yeah. I mean, that that adage, I mean, I don't remember where it first came from, but like to put it in Amazon's court, if Amazon sneezed, Seattle would most certainly get a cold. You know, it's like if there was a problem, like that's the oh, the overspecialization of the local economy, the reverberations would be huge. But what I'm hearing is that we're not as sensitive to Amazon as you might think. Right. Which is heartening in a way for, for both us and them. We certainly don't want them to leave. I think a lot of people are in denial that that's even a possibility. You know, we're seeing with this HQ2, a lot of cities are willing to put a lot of money into welcoming Amazon to their town. There are many cities that would be thrilled to have Seattle's problems. All of them in comparison with the problems they currently have. Or so they think, at least. Or so, Well, yeah, or so they think. My own native Philadelphia would, believe me, they have just as bad of a homeless problem now, plus a heck of a lot more. Uh, crime that's off the charts, undersized police force, undersized tax money, poverty. It's, I mean, it's a great city, fifth largest city in the country. Uh, it has an economy, but it's, a sta- it's always been a flat, difficult economy. Never really recovered in a lot of ways in the recession, and they're one of one of the top 10 cities on that list. And there were a couple articles written around the time in the Inquirer by some people in Seattle that were like, you know, be careful what you wish for. And the response pieces were like, you've got to be kidding me. Basically, it was just like, have you driven in West Philadelphia recently? This reminds me of a panel I heard on KUOW just a few weeks ago. Actually, one of our previous guests, Monica Guzman, was on the panel. And it was a panel of four people debating the many different valid issues in Seattle. One of the people on the panel was like, we can't solve these problems. You know, I'm just going to go somewhere where they're solved. And so the moderator was like, what city exactly <laughs> would you be heading to? And there was this silence. And whenever it gets to that grass is greener moment in the conversation, I almost look forward to it because it's a, in a way you get to turn back and say, actually, this place is fantastic. And I wish I wish there was a way to talk about that more at the end of these chats. But I almost think that we do a, a little bit of a disservice when we say, you know, these are problems, but they're good problems to have because for some of us, problems are less pronounced. And it, it, it's almost dismissive, not, not what you're saying, but just sometimes people, people always want to ask me, is it net positive or net negative, all the growth that comes here in Seattle? And it really depends, you know, for some people, there's nothing better. Um, you're getting all sorts of new perspectives. You're getting new money. Uh, you're getting, I mean, our, our city's budget has gone up by, I think, billions of dollars. So there's a lot of good things. There's jobs at every single level. But with that, there are people who wake up one day and all of their friends and family have left because they can't afford to be here anymore. There's people who look around and there's not a single building that they recognize around them and and the businesses aren't there anymore. And so it's really painful to feel lost. There are 
a lot of people feeling lost and it's not a trivial loss. It's like a real deep seated pain. And I think there's a, there's a big push to say, Oh, the, these are good problems to have. And for a lot of people, they're great problems to have. Um, but for some people it, it it's, it's really tough. And so we've got to think about that going back to the collaborative spirit, we have to realize it is really tough and it's not a good problem for some people. But as you said, we should be able to solve that. It is in the end, having a lot of money in the city should be good. We should be able to, with our creativity and collaboration, find a way to put it to good use in it and it not a you made it so it it needs to be given to somebody else, but like we all have a responsibility to care for one another. I think that's where some of what we were talking about before comes back in the cultural onboarding to Seattle, because if we do have a responsibility to handle all that, we have to convince everyone that is here and the businesses and everything that that is their responsibility. Yeah. And that the newcomers, that's their responsibility too. the old timers. It's their responsibility. The collaboration, as you keep bringing up, is the key to all of this. But you can't effectively collaborate to solve problems as complicated as we have if you don't have all the voices in the room. Yep. And I think a lot of the time in a lot of these arguments that you hear in the news, these screaming arguments that are happening in community centers and things with people on the council, they're not all of the voices are in the room all of the time. Yep. And a lot of people are afraid to be in the room. I think that's probably the biggest challenge to getting the collaboration to work is just making it acceptable enough yeah. To hear all of the voices. And another part of Seattle's soul that I keep hearing is that it's a city that's people care for one another. Um, and so going to your point, we need to care for one another. We can't just expect businesses to care for somebody else. We can't just expect our government to care for people like we ourselves need to care. And we need leaders. We need people who will lead by example and just say, you know what? I need this voice in the room. I'm going to get it there and I'm going to listen and we're going to come up with solutions that work and we're going to explain why they work. And, and we're also going to just care for one another beyond just like these big, big problems, but just small problems. Doing a little bit better, each of us, will inspire that next person who comes in and says, oh, yeah, when I come here, I saw this person picking up trash that they didn't make. I saw this person feeding uh a stranger that they didn't know, um, whatever it is, if we all just do a little bit and then the people who could do more, do more, it'll just go around and it'll solve the challenges a lot easier. That all sounds very, um, optimistic and (laughs) (laughs) happy happy and and fantastic. Um, but so how do you propose? Because, you know, of course that would be great, but I think there are a lot of people here that have become very jaded at this point and are very upset. There's a whole lot of angry voices that I hear all the time about all this stuff. And so I think Seattle is at a tricky point of needing to say, yes, we hear you and we hear how upset you are, um, but also figure out how to bring a lot of people back from this edge of anger that they're on. How do you pull those people back in? What's that saying? Passion is the enemy of precision. Like that that inflection point that month ago when things got crazy, like nothing was getting done. It was just this random release of emotion, which has its own function. But during that period of time, literally no actual discourse was taking place. That's a hard balance to strike. We need our business leaders to step up, solve these problems, not solve all of them, but just start doing things. And a lot of them are. So the second piece of that is we need to celebrate the accomplishments that we're seeing. I've got an interview coming up with the Downtown Seattle Association. They're doing 
a lot of things to help the homeless that isn't getting the coverage or that we're not hearing about. So I think, uh, and the homeless is just one of the, the challenges that we're facing, but I, I think we need individuals to step up, lead by example. And then I think we need uh, collectively to, to celebrate it when they do. Uh, we need people to share that story. Uh, we need people to, what you're doing is just get talking about these issues and talking about best practices and, and what, what we can do better. It feels a little uncomfortable to brag about all the great things that you've done. And it feels a little inauthentic to, to hear somebody saying about the good things they've done. But we're at a time, in my mind, where selfishness has never been more celebrated. Uh, I, I just feel like <laughs> it, it nationally, like we're just selfishness is far more okay. And we just need to keep reminding each other that it's okay to think about somebody else and that it's better to do that. And so we need to, when somebody talks about investments in the community, we need to say, thank you for doing that. Keep doing it. Uh, What one of your interviews was the one that meant the most to you? And what's an interview that you would like just die to do? Somebody you really, really want to talk to? Ah, good question. Um, I interviewed a hip hop artist by the name of Dre's and he talked about his time in the central district and what he's seeing there with the, the changes and, and the feelings that come with what, what he's seeing in in the African-American community and in that particular uh, area. And I think that was fairly eye opening about, um, you know, the, his, the history of redlining and racism that, you know, these things matter and, and persist. They're, they're shaping how people are experiencing the growth in the city and, and who's able to get a, a part of that. Who do I want to interview? Uh, Macklemore, for sure. <laughs> you know, he walks around here, lives nearby. <laughs> yeah. So Macklemore, if you're listening to this, uh, come talk to me about the past, present, and future Seattle's music scene. Well, Macklemore, if you're listening, by the way, also, just come on our <laughs> show, too. If you don't mind, that would, that would be kind of amazing. <laughs> two, two for one. You can be on two podcasts for one one interview. We'll sit down with both of us. <laughs> well, this is awesome. Thank you so much for coming. I really appreciate it. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. Nice to meet both of you, and, and good luck. And thank you so much for listening. Our next night school event will be right around the corner, so keep a lookout on our social media for that. It will be held here at Board Vellum on 15th Avenue in Capitol Hill. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter or the blog on boardandvellum.com. There's always super cool stuff being posted there every day. And as always, please stop on by anytime and chat with us. We would love to have you. Thank you again, and we'll see you all in a few weeks.